And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on sailors Fighting in the dance hall Welcome to Cinemaholics. We're back with another one-off episode because we're not doing the main up right now because I think the main episode of Cinemaholics, well, Ashton, is going to have to be Matrix Resurrections, right? Sure. Like, that's, yeah, you know. That's my fault. So we're just going to talk I, about one movie. I haven't had a chance to see Matrix yet. I apologize. It's been, it's been busy with the holidays. I haven't had a chance to see Matrix Resurrections yet. So uh, I'll see that probably tomorrow. But in the meantime... We got another movie we can talk about, and I'm very excited I to talk about it. I guess so. It's a movie I've been wanting to talk to you about since before I even knew it existed. Oh, right? man. It's like wow. there's some movies you just have in your gut, and you're like, mm. there's, there's something coming. There's a storm coming. And yeah. a storm it's been since Licorice Pizza, the newest film from Paul Thomas, and- Paul Thomas Anderson, yeah, was first screened and hit limited release. People have been all over the place with this movie. I think it's we should been... say from the outset, right? That yeah. It's get it's getting the accolades. It's getting the attention awards wise. It's been a tough month for me because I kept seeing people see licorice pizza before me and then see it two times or three times or four times. And I'm like, I just want to see it once. What do I have to yeah. do to see it once? I don't know what's going on with the Pittsburgh film scene, but I do believe that it needs to be addressed immediately because, yeah, we yeah, should have had this good. conversation a while back. I would if I could have, I would have. Yeah. Well, here we are now. And we're talking about the latest film from Paul Thomas Anderson. How many films has this man made uh, as a filmmaker at this point? I, well, I, I, I got to say, it's over 10, right? Is it? Let's see. It's Heart 8. Heart 8's his first, 1996. Boogie Nights. N- not a big hit. Boogie Nights, a huge hit. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest hits of his career. Then Magnolia. Magnolia, 1999, I want to say. Yeah, uh, That is, I think, his second highest grossing film. Oh, is it really? I believe so. Uh, I thought it would be a film I'll just say later down this lineup. Uh, okay. Well, well, there's Punch Drunk Love, which wasn't a big hit. Uh, that was 2002, right? Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they took a little break and he made yeah. There Will Be Blood, which I thought would be his biggest hit. Um, or one of his there biggest be, hits. It is. It is. Yeah. I said second biggest hit. Mm-hmm. So uh, so There Will Be Blood, 2007, big, his biggest hit. I think the awards you know juice for that movie was the big element behind its success even though it was a very long film uh is it longer than his other ones longer i don't know longer but i mean it's it's more epic in scale isn't it uh sure certainly in scale um the master follows that okay. one great film. yeah but also i mean it's it does slightly better than punch drug club which is not saying too much sure and then you got inherent vice the weakest of his career. <laughs> um, well, you never finished it, so you don't have the right to say that. I, I'm saying box office wise. Oh, okay. And, and you're right. I didn't finish Inherent Vice. Uh, very good. Maybe film. someday. Maybe his someday. weakest, his weakest in quality is uh, probably Hard Eight, which is still quite a good film, I think. But yes, and I'm uh, not counting that as the weakest box office wise. I mean, it technically is. It didn't even crack a million. Sure. But you know. Yeah. Uh, relatively speaking. But then, yeah, then there was a uh, Phantom Thread, which is one of the biggest uh, critical and commercial hits of his career. One we discussed. That's actually his. That's the second biggest. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, third biggest. Excuse oh, me. Really? It's it's third biggest after Magnolia. So you got wow. There will be blood. His biggest, and yeah. I'm talking about domestic. I, I don't know actually. Know okay. About worldwide. I was just looking at this because I was curious. Um, 
Phantom Thread is, is his number three. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason it's, it's 2017. And I think it had been three years since one of his films had come out low reception. And before mm-hmm. that we had an, you know, the master, which is one of his best, but this, you know, certainly there was excitement behind it. You know, there was a little bit of a, Hey, he's got a new thing coming. And 2017 was a stacked year. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of amazing that it got as much love and attention as it did. I think a lot of it did have to do though with Daniel day Lewis yes. and people being like, Hey, this is, this is his chance yeah. to get that, uh, you know, get that Oscar. Yeah. And then in between inherent vice and Phantom thread, there is Juan. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. There was the Johnny Junan, 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 yeah. the documentary. Yeah, that's the only one of his I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've heard, you know, it's fine. Um, I would like to see it at some yeah, point. People, yeah, people don't talk about it much. It's uh, it's about the uh, it's about Johnny Greenwood, mm-hmm. um, Radiohead, that yeah. kind of thing, and it's you know, of course, I've heard it's worth seeking out, but it's kind of like a a novelty sure. kind of movie, not really like a hey drop everything we got to mm-hmm. get to, we got to we got to get the kids out we sure. need, they need a sitter but uh how many movies was that i didn't count uh i didn't count either well, uh, i think all right <laughs> i think i think um i think it's nine or ten yeah so that's about right boogie yeah. nights magnolia punch drug glove there will be blood i'm counting with my fingers mm-hmm. the master inherent vice phantom thread licorice pizza and jenna that's ten that's ten all right so that's this is ten movies this is him in the double digits now baby we did it, yeah, yeah. The tenth film by yeah. Paul Thomas Tarantino. Sure, I, I actually, I, I had a thought like that a few years ago. I was like, is is Paul Thomas Anderson like the thinking man's Tarantino, or is that a terrible sentence that I just uttered? Well, there have been quite a few comparisons to Licorice Pizza and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, That's true. Favorably or not, I think they're both very good films. Uh, not to jump the gun on Licorice Pizza, but um, yeah, I. I I don't know if I agree in terms of uh, that assessment. I feel like that's a little. Um, um, well, well, okay, here, yeah, it can be a little bit reductive. But let me sure. let me bring out my uh, my argument here. Okay, so okay. like th- there are some similarities, and obviously they're two very different filmmakers, right? And that's yeah. that's what I want to stress. But the similarities are certainly there. They both make long movies. They both sure. have original screenplays for the most part, by and large. They are writers and, and directors at the same time. Yeah, they both they write and direct their own films. They are extremely deliberative about what they make mm-hmm. and what kind of things that they choose to make. Um, I think for both of them, their second film is considered one of their best mm-hmm. and most like celebrated, right? Very uh, influential films. In, exactly. Um, to mid to late 90s. Boogie Nights and Pulp Fiction we're talking about. Yes. And yeah, I just think that they're they're very they're individualistic filmmakers who take the the cult of film very seriously, but they approach it in two very different ways. Whereas Tarantino is more overt in his referential approach to filmmaking, where he's like very meticulous about homage, mm-hmm. and his dialogue is very very sh- uh, sharp and mm-hmm. crisp, and it complements like a, a movie that feels like dozens of other movies all blended together perfectly. Mm-hmm. I think PTA, he approaches films very differently where I think his dialogue has never been my favorite thing about his movies. Like they're good, but I think my favorite thing about his movies are the the writing of the characters in a visual sense, their expressions, their place in the world and all the subtext. I think the subtext of PTA is like a more thinking sort of feeling that he gets from his films. Whereas Tarantino, it's it's a little bit more on the surface. He has subtext too, but it, it's definitely a different level. Uh, it's a definitely a different level of appeal for two filmmakers who I think are on the two sides, same coin, and all of that. That's my that is my Tarantino PTA take. Yeah, I terrible? mean, 
No, I get what you're saying. Um, I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, to your credit, is, I guess, less precious with his screenplays, uh, especially the, the, these days um, uh, in terms of like, you know, he kind of like follows the characters more. Than he like fo- kind of follows his own uh, dialogue and kind of quirks and individual uh, aesthetic choices and all that. And I guess I feel like Tarantino can kind of like like if you were to tell him like, hey, we're going to cut this scene. He's like, not on your life uh and like with pta be like hey what if we just kind of did this and said like yeah why not we'll try it and then it just ends up being great uh i kind of he's like i would watch that you know that's kind of his approach right okay well i I guess we could we could turn it to licorice pizza since we we've set it up pretty Mm -hmm. thoroughly here right now i have to i have to start by saying it's been a month since i saw this over a month so i I was telling you will before we started up here i was like i'm not gonna have as vivid a memory of this film but i will admit that it it has stuck out it has lasted in my head i know you're still processing it though so we're coming at it from different wavelengths now the film's getting Mm -hmm. a lot of awards attention as we already mentioned uh it was nominated for best picture with the critics choice awards i think it's a very very likely going to be nominated for best picture at the oscars probably a few different uh, nominations on top of that including i think original screenplay director do you think uh, some of the biggies there do you think you'll win original screenplay this year it's very possible. You know, yeah. I, I'm still looking at a lot of other screenplays that are really sticking out. But yeah, that one that one's looking strong, especially because the adapted screenplays are kind of where the mm-hmm. real competition's at when you're looking at like Power of the Dog. Yeah. But for this one, yeah, I, th- I think this this has a really good shot. And I know people are looking at Alana Haim, who, you know, she could she could come in here, probably not win Best Actress, but certainly be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's 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 where this film is at right now with critics and audiences. Critics, by and large, are absolutely loving this film. Yes. I think audiences, you know, I don't want to spoil anything because we're going to play the Rotten Tomatoes game later. But I, I think that there is like I'm mostly seeing positivity for this yeah, game, at least on my timeline. There's discourse. We can say that. Uh, of course, there is um, a lot of chatter about the film and uh how, yeah, it, how it approaches it's the a characters. subset yeah sure. right not everybody uh, it's like not half even it's probably like a third or a fourth of people being like no 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 this thing's a monstrous abomination i think some people uh said some hyperbolic things that maybe they should just um spend less time on twitter how about that <laughs> <laughs> and it's very related too to red rocket which i'm i'm also excited to talk to you about it. Yeah. Point. My favorite film of 2021. I also, and, uh, I heard yeah. hand of God also kind of taps into some similar things, but I have not seen hand of God or red Rocky yet. Yeah. And what, what we mean is like, we're talking about a movie where characters are very morally flawed, doing morally flawed things. And sort of the conversation is, is that okay? Is it okay to depict that? Even if depiction is not endorsement, is it still, you know, glamour, glamorization to an extent? And, and what is that really doing to the, the collective psyche when you have a film that has, you know, problematic stuff in it? I think it's something that we haven't really fully reckoned with as like a, a, a film body. But I do know that most people who are going to watch Licorice Pizza aren't going to be thinking about that. They're going to be kind of like, yeah, I think mainly because it's a movie that takes place in the 70s. Uh, early 70s i want to say and it takes place in los angeles it's you know you mentioned you you connected it of course once upon a time in hollywood this takes place a few years after that film does but yeah very much in the same spirit of that movie like really just looking at la and being like man you should have been here at in this era like this Mm -hmm. was the time to live in la you know it was such a a magical place you know weird and imperfect as it was truly what a time to be alive (laughs) 
Right. And uh, the, the the name of the film, Licorice Pizza, I didn't know this when I was uh, watching and reviewing and everything, but I, it has been brought to my attention that a Licorice Pizza was a record chain, right? And like a, an album yeah. a record was called like a Licorice Pizza. I was like, oh, okay. Like I, mm-hmm. I just changed it. That, I had no idea. Yeah. Like the logo is like a waitress like holding a um, vinyl record like a pizza. Like there's like steam coming out of it, I think. I think Love that's it. a logo for Delicious. Licorice Pizza. Yeah. I believe the record chain, yeah, doesn't exist anymore. But I can I can see why it's like a kind of you know helpful in summing up this movie. It's something that you know kind of takes you back to a different time, and it's kind of quirky in that regard. The story of this movie follows two just two kids, two kids who just don't know what to do about each other. Uh, we start the film with uh, a kid named Gary Valentine great name played by cooper hoffman who i didn't know this when i because i didn't watch the trailer or anything i didn't know really who was in this and i had no idea that this was philip seymour hoffman's son but as i was watching it i did not know but as i was watching it i was like this guy is he the son i i I swear that i had that thought i was like is is he related to philip seymour hoffman Mm -hmm. sure enough he is credited as cooper hoffman at the end of the film and i'm like oh like that uh, must be who he is did the hands on hip acting give it away for you some of it, there were a lot of mannerisms like yeah. you can really pick up on and yeah, he's different though he he's not a clone of of his dad he really yeah. is his own actor but like yeah it's it's there like right. the similarities the yeah resemblance no i mean i agree it's like he's kind of forging his own path i mean it's, this is his first film it's kind of hard to you know yeah i don't want to say too much too early but he seems like you say he has kind of individual touches but there are some moments where you'll see him do certain things in a very, I think, undeliberately P or uh, Phil C- Philip Seymour Hoffman sort of way, and it just kind of gives you like a little bit of goosebumps because it's just like, oh geez, like kind of similar to like uh, Michael Gandolfini in um, Many Saints of New York. Like he'll just kind of like turn his head yeah. a certain way, or he'll do something that's very reminiscent of his dad, and you're just so used to seeing it with his their dads that when they do it, it's just like, oh geez, like, wow. I mean, that's why I'm eager to revisit Many Saints of New York at least to some extent now that I've watched The Sopranos. And I can actually add some of that, you know, familiarity in for myself. But yeah, so so Cooper Hoffman plays this kid, Gary. He's 15 years old. He is a former child actor. Like he's kind of in that transition period where he was a kid actor. He was successful on this kind of like variation of yours, mine and ours. And he's kind of aging out of that. And this movie is so brilliant, by the way, and how it depicts that process of like when a child actor stops, you know, getting rules, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, he so he's at an interesting point in his life where he's kind of transitioning into a, a more entrepreneurial career and when this film begins he locks eyes on this young woman she's 25 years old although someone was arguing with me that she isn't really 25 in this movie which they okay, say she's 25 or are they implying that she's lying yeah which i was like i feel like that's just you're trying to just put that in there yeah, I, I don't know the movie doesn't give you a, a reason to question her age really right right yes she's like always very critical of it like the reason right. like she's like i shouldn't be hanging out with this kid because he's like you know half my my age so well not half but well, yeah uh, I, you know. sorry i'm exaggerating a little bit a little less than half yeah it's a it's a 10 year age gap right which you know to be clear like it that kind of gap doesn't matter you know, once you hit your twenties and thirties, but you know, in that, in that range, when you're 15 and somebody's 25, that is a significant yeah. gap there. When you're talking about a teenager. Right. Yeah. He locks eyes on her. He's a, he's immediately attracted to her. She's kind of like this, uh, you know, this is a young photographer's assistant. She's kind of aimless in LA. We know, we know that story. We've seen La La Land, 
but you know he he is immediately infatuated but she's having none of it she's like you're just a kid but yeah as you kind of mentioned they build kind of like a friendship it's platonic but obviously like he wants more and she's kind of like i can't act on this because it's disgusting but there nevertheless is this like bond between them and the movie is like a basically a hangout movie where these two people go on misadventures and we have tons of fun friends coming in along the way including sean penn tom waits bradley cooper i mean it's a spoiler of richard uh, riches in terms of the character actors who get to come in here and have some fun hamming it up in this movie and uh yeah i love this movie it's one of my favorites of the year it's it's fantastic i mean it's just like one just one of those movies that like makes you remember like why watching movies is you know emotionally fulfilling and why we do this in the first place and i think all the praise and love and enamoration it's getting is more than warranted but will you just saw it so yes. yeah what what is your uh, this is my thoughts after a month and i i firmly mm-hmm. stand by my thoughts on the movie but what about you oh i love this movie it shouldn't come as much as a surprise because um you know Paul Thomas Anderson, as I've mentioned before on this podcast and elsewhere, is my favorite filmmaker, or at least my favorite working filmmaker. So, I mean, I just tend to expect I'm going to like his films. It would be more surprising and certainly more disappointing if I didn't like the film. And thankfully, that's not the, the case. The Master is your favorite, right? Of his? Yes. I feel like I've heard you say that. Uh, is that right? No. Master is okay. one of my favorites. It's probably in my top three. I really go back and forth. Um, oh, Punch I, Drunk Love, isn't it? Probably Punch Drunk Love. I okay, really do yeah. like Punch Drunk Love a lot. And the thing I was going to say about Paul Thomas Anderson movies is that, like, I feel like I don't get a full idea of them until I rewatch them a few more times. Like, he he's very good about being rewarding with his films. Like, you can't fully... I, I feel like I don't have a full understanding of how I feel about his films, besides just general baseline feelings, until I see him a couple times. Like, they, they envelope themselves in very interesting and meaningful ways to me as you rewatch them and that's something i i really value a lot about his films and i, I imagine that'll certainly be the case with licorice pizza but with uh this first viewing yeah i just i mean like, like you mentioned it's like very much about the vibes it's very much like a hangout movie uh we were discussing before we recorded that there are a lot of people who are like well what's the plot uh including my dad like well like what's the plot of the movie and i feel like if you're going into this movie being like What's the story here? I mean, there is a story. There's a lot of story. But if you go into it like, what's the general plot? You're going to be, I guess, a little aloof because this is very much a character-driven film. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson has been influenced by a lot of filmmakers throughout his uh, filmography. Certainly Scorsese, Jonathan Demme, uh, Robert Downey Sr., who gets a... uh, a tribute here at the end of the film and uh robert altman are some of his biggest influences i feel like this is probably surpasses magnolia as his most altman-esque film in that like even though it has like all these characters and has all these things going on there's a very kind of casual shaggy quality to it that feels very lived in very like emotionally honest but there is something about it that's almost like hazy and dreamlike like it kind of feels like you're in this like netherworld at the same time like you're in a world that feels real but also feels like it's like intangible and that's something about paul thomas anderson's movies that really just fascinates me and the more i watch them and i feel like this is one of the better examples of that in that like it feels like kind of like you're walking into this nostalgic memory, but at the same time, there is this clear eyed reflection where like you get both perspectives from Gary, where he is, you know, 
be nostalgic and young and doesn't really see the world exactly for what it is, but he also sees it as a hustle. Like he sees all these different ways he can take, you know, the world by storm and he doesn't really want to be tied down to any one thing. And then you have Alana who uh, is still young, but she's approaching, you know, like her late twenties and she still hasn't really figured out what she wants to do with her life. And she's trying to cling to her childhood in some respects and the seeing yang of their relationship just forms this really, really meaningful and poignant film. And I, I, I just really love it for many, many reasons. I think this film captures one of PTA's deepest strengths as a filmmaker. The thing that really sets him apart, and I guess I kind of touched on this earlier with the Tarantino thing, but this is this is a filmmaker who he is so good at capturing and literalizing the abstract. He can take an abstract feeling or mood or sense of being and use literal events uh, and metaphors to to really make that metaphor come yeah. to life mm-hmm. and in like a way that's just like it works on like multiple levels like that that is i think his gift as a filmmaker he, he did it super well with phantom thread a film that i think just went over people's heads uh unfortunately so? uh, some people yeah I, I remember some of the initial reaction of phantom thread was like yeah you know that wasn't like that wasn't a, a very good pta movie just like a decent movie mm. where i think that film was doing a lot it, there was a lot going on there yes. but like you said i think people realize this stuff after they've kind of revisited his films a few times or even just know, think about it a little bit sure yeah 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 maybe read, read some stuff on it you know get a get an impression of other people's perspectives on the film i know with this one yeah he's doing that for sure with like some real life you know inspirations and stories uh he had his friend growing up uh he said named uh, gary goatsman that of course the main character is based on who's a, a producing you know a producer with like a lot of tom hanks films and like literally was like getting up to these same hijinks. Like this isn't a whole cloth, you know, inspira- inspired thing. Like literally started a waterbed company, a pinball arcade. In fact, I, I didn't even realize this, but like the whole thing that happens with John Peters is based on a real story where mm-hmm. he actually delivered a waterbed to John Peters oh, uh, really? house. Yeah, that's, wow. that's a real thing. And I, I think it's striking too that. There, there are two films that Anderson has remarked on as being like, all right, these are these are the two films that influenced me the most. And one of them is, I think, a pretty obvious, and that's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. You watch you watch this movie. If you're a fan of Fast Times, you've seen it at least once. Like the inspiration is there, particularly with like some of the kids and like, you know, some of the little moments like that. But then also his second influence I thought was pretty fascinating was American Graffiti, which not a film I immediately thought of. But yes, like absolutely, like you can really tell that 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 is that film's DNA is like all over this. But in a way that, like I said, it's not like Tarantino where he's doing it literally. He's capturing like the moods of these films in his homage. It's what kind of just I don't know. It's like what sets him apart in a very interesting way for me, which is yeah a big reason why I feel like this film is going to be like infinitely rewatchable. Yeah, I mean, there's even sort of a um like Linklater vibe to this one too which i don't know if that was Absolutely. deliberate but it, it does kind of feel similar to like you know days and confused and um i guess more recently everybody wants some where there is like this kind of like uh, as you mentioned like this hangout feel where it does like there's not a lot of like dramatic urgency to it but there is kind of like this sense of like there is forward momentum like there is this idea of like something is encroaching whether it's like this kind of budding uh partnership or if there's like this kind of like inevitability of like you know gary becoming older and like there's this very interesting idea of like masculinity in this movie is sort of portrayed in like this kind of um almost like rigid disastrous sort of way where like all the guys around 
Gary Valentine or like self-destructive, toxic, like, you know, hyper masculine people. And he's betrayed certainly a little bit more. uh, um, He's softer. Vulnerable. Yeah. He's a little bit more sensitive, more, more in tune to his feelings, but he is kind of, you know, there's a lot of posing obviously because he's like 17 or like, I guess 15. Uh, And he's like, you know, trying to like, you know, be a man. He's like trying to the like kind never. Of, yeah. The script never forgets he's 15. It, right. It's never portrayed as like, oh, you'd think that he's in his 20s. It's a mm-hmm. surprise that he's 15. No, like you can tell. Right. And I, yeah. And I think I mean, that's something that I feel is maybe getting lost in translation with the conversation around the film is this idea that like the film isn't aware of their age, like the idea that like they are young and or he's young and she's like obviously older they feel like people are like i don't know just like it's it's everything about this movie it feels very conscious and deliberate but at the same time pt anderson feels so willing to try different things like there's this spontaneity to it that comes about that i i find that so impressive that he's able to be so deliberate and so so like spontaneous at the same time i just really don't know how he pulls off that balance yeah there's been a lot of uh hand wringing for sure about the film and how it, it handles like that that age gap right and like kind of like as we were saying is like is it is it re- is it making light of that sort of thing you know is it downplaying it i only have two real issues with the film and one of them i think is like just indefensible there are like some like the Asian, japanese Asian, jokes? The japanese yeah. jokes yeah, yeah john michael higgins character and i'm just like not funny. It's kind of like, come on, like right. low hanging fruit. It's not, you know, I, I kind of get what he's going for, but it's not successful. Right. It's distracting. Like take it out of the movie. Like it's not worth it. Right. Um, yeah, you, it doesn't, yeah, you agree. Yeah. Cause it doesn't really add a whole lot to like the overarching story. And I get like the joke is supposed to be more that like Chad Michael Higgins is aloof and stuff, but it's, it's kind of yeah, hard John to Michael like, Higgins. sorry, John Michael Higgins. Um, he is a Chad though. You know, you're right. He is a Chad. Sure. Um, but like, there's that sense of like, is PTA expecting us to laugh for the right reasons? If I you think know. I, that's the thing is like, it's easy to read that scene as being like, oh, he's making fun of the guy making fun of, you know what I mean? Like, right. Obviously he's a big doofus. Right. But that's, that's why I say it's not worth it. It's just like, it's right. not a good joke. Like, okay. Like you can accomplish that very easily with a funny Mm-hmm. you know joke so that, that's right. my whole take on it and you see people like, i mean i don't know how many people were in your audience but when i was watching and there were people laughing it's like okay are they laughing for the right reasons like it's hard to say when you were like watching it because you know yeah i didn't have that same experience but i yeah i could easily imagine that being very uncomfortable for people like oh gosh am i you know you know what i mean um the other thing that i have an issue with is how I do, I do think the film ends. And I think like where, where it kind of lands on certain things. Now we don't have to get into that now since I'm sure people are, you know, a lot of people are probably listening who haven't, you know, seen the movies. We're not going to give anything away, but, um, I did talk about this in my review because I did a review back when the film, uh, when I first screened it and I, and I talked about it, I I talked about how, you know, I tried to explain like why I, I, I love this movie, even though it depicts, you know, certainly not like it's not it's not a relationship that um, is explicit or, you know, it as I mentioned, it's platonic, but obviously mm-hmm. it, there's a yearning there. Right. And it's about yeah. two people who know that they can't be together 
and yet they're still drawn together in a different way and mm -hmm. it's a movie that kind of like pulls you in like that that's kind of like the hook of the movie it's what keeps you invested it's what makes the audience care it's what makes them be like i want to know what happens next because i'm curious about like the stakes for these kids and like how they see each other mm -hmm. and i also think that it's film about you know how their different places in life relate to one another and the similarities and the contrast behind that i think it's extremely fascinating so i wrote that or i yeah i did that in my like review and people were kind of like you know really up in arms about it people were just like i you know calling me out so i, I wrote this and uh i, I don't think oh you i don't i don't think you've uh <laughs> you're aware of what i said here oh, so no. uh, i want to get your reaction here oh, so boy this is uh, I, I wrote this in the comments of the other review i did i said mm -hmm. i want to address some extra things here that have been raised in the comments so anyone else who scrolls past and get a clearer picture of where I stand on the noisy controversy around this film. I'd have, I have liked to talk more about this during the actual review, but it's tough fitting everything in. Plus I'm definitely still chewing on this movie. Again, this was November 19th. So it was a while back. It's a lot to process. First off, there is a big difference between a movie being about something immoral and a movie being immoral. In other words, a movie can have bad things in it and mm -hmm. bad people doing those bad things, but that doesn't necessarily mean these bad things are being presented as ethical or moral. Yeah. See almost any crime drama. I criticize plenty of movies that I consider immoral as in they're endorsing the bad things being presented or at best fetishizing awful behavior for the sake of shortcutting entertainment at the expense of insight. Licorice Pizza is not a 2.5 hour movie about pedophilia. And I'm saying that in direct response that that is like the criticism I'm being told is right. that this is a two and a half hour movie about pedophilia. It is not. Right. I think that's a pretty unfair characterization because it really is about a young, overconfident teen boy trying desperately to grow up faster because he's convinced himself that happiness is wrapped up in the freedom of adulthood. He's a reverse Peter Pan, but with the personality of Peter Pan. This is why he spends a lot of the movie pursuing a woman much older than him. And it's a one sided romance, to be clear. The woman in question makes it clear she's not down with dating a 15 year old but she still gets pulled into his world for reasons that the movie unpacks quite diligently on the one hand she's a user just like him she sees gary as her ticket to a better future in los angeles gary uses her too because he seems to think a relationship with her will validate his position as a serious actor and man this is what the movie is really about how two terribly flawed people can form a meaningful bond out of something toxic and selfish i think there's a lot of healthy discussion to be had around the morality of where this movie lands and i'm not discounting any anyone who finds it troubling my only point is that i applaud the risk and pta's audacity to go there even if not everyone will agree on how he pulls it off this is very very different from the film's handful of asian jokes which i did find pretty terrible uh, those jokes aren't about anything they're cheap they're boring they don't add anything to the movie except cringe and therefore stand out in a film that is otherwise so far above that line they're also not major elements of the movie which is why i didn't dwell on them for this review the movie is still a pretty terrific piece of work in my opinion blah 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 that's that's the gist so yeah what do you think yeah i mean i don't really take any issue with that. Um, yeah, I think you were you quoting the Roger Ebert piece about that because I know Roger Ebert has a piece that's kind of similar. I mean, obviously, you didn't no, write that's about, incidental. No, um, that, was, that was just me. I mean, obviously, he didn't write about licorice pizza, but like he's talked in the past about like how you can view a film that has you know ill moral characters and like deals with very unsavory things, but you can, you know, you can recontextualize it. You can, you can look at it, you know, in, in multifaceted ways and not, you know, I, I, it's, right. this is not a I'm, film. I'm far, right. I'm far from the only person who's ever right. said that for sure. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. I just, I just wasn't sure if you, cause what you said was almost like very similar to what his quote was. I had to pull up the piece uh, to be sure. Cause it's been a while since I've read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like a, I don't know, not the, dogpile too much on twitter in this uh, episode but i feel like this is like a very not twitter film 
Like, this is not a film you can really discuss in 240 characters. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, there are almost 240 characters in the film, so it's kind of hard to discuss it in 240 nice. characters. There you go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just... I, I think it's not something that should be ignored, but I think it's kind of one of those things where you have to you have to evaluate the film as it is. Like if you're gonna just you know make you know uh, roundabout comments about what it is, and you're not really evaluating the film as the film, and so therefore you're not really having an honest discussion about the film. It's kind of going back uh, like a few years ago when, when uh, Call Me by Your Name came out, and there were similar conversations to be had about that film. And however people feel about that film, I, I feel like that you know it's just every film's different, obviously, but you know, these things are kind of, you have to, you know, talk about them, I think, in a very adult, critical, mature way. And that's not something that can happen on social media all the time. Yeah, there's there's too much nuance to be had. And that is the enemy of social media to be 100% certain. Yeah, I, I think that one thing we haven't really stressed on too much, I mean, I know we were talking about some of the jokes and everything, but I really want to emphasize this is a, this is a hilarious movie. Like I felt like while watching this, I was in like a dreamlike state. You know that doesn't happen too often, but you know that sort of like spellbound. Like I I forgot where I was for two hours, right? Where I'm just sort of like being swept yeah. along this story, even though as we mentioned, like it it's not like the typical three act structure. It's not like okay, here's our first act, here's the conflict that needs to be resolved at the climax. All right, here's the midpoint, here's the all is lost moment. It really is just like working off of its own like cool kid attitude, which I think is just ah, it's just so impressive to me. And yeah, I think that it's it's a shame that I I think it's being revered so much that there is that sort of backlash. That's sort of like well, we need to take this thing down a peg, right? Because there are likes and retweets to be had whenever you hate on the thing that everyone else likes. And I'm sure you know a lot of a lot of the the criticisms for the movie are, are coming from valid places for, for a lot of people. But I, I have sort of noticed a little bit of like an overblown, you know, all right, like I can tell like this thing is you know, popular. Yeah. You know what I mean, even popular in like a very narrow way, like just this like subset of like film going people who have already seen it. And so that, that gives people like an avenue to sort of like overemphasize the flaws and kind of like have these like bad faith takes in order to get some attention. So I just wanted to point that out that there is a lot of that going on. So if you're, if you're wary about that sort of thing, whether or not you like it or dislike it, uh, I, I just think that it's a, it's an important thing to keep in mind that people are just going to kind of say stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to hand wave anybody's criticisms of the film. I, certainly a lot of them are valid. And like I said, I think you can have a pretty mature conversation about the film, even if you dislike it and, you know, you know, have a, you know, one-on-one -on -one and be pretty serious about it. But it does seem at the moment, you know, a lot of the instant reactions to the film are very reactionary in uh, some of the worst ways. Like they're just kind of making these broad, uh, somewhat baseless and very hyperbolic statements. And I feel like a lot of people are, you know, kind of uh, going a little overboard in what they're, they're trying to say in terms of how they're criticizing the film without talking about anyone too specific. We got to talk about Alana Haim who we already mentioned is in the conversation for best actress. And I think rightfully so we already talked about Cooper Hoffman and I think he's very important to this movie, but I think hmm. the real like force of nature in this movie for me is Alana Haim as Alana. And she's in this movie along with her family, like literally her sisters and her parents play her actual family and Alana Haim, who I was aware of only through, you know, as a musical artist, because this is her first film. I don't know if you're a fan of the band Haim. My, my I only do like him. Yeah, my only connection to Haim is like I, I like a few of their songs, but uh, I know when I was uh, like back when I was living in like Virginia, I had a roommate who hated Haim. Really? 
Why? He could not stand. He was a musician himself, and he okay. he just hated their music. And I was like, I like it. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like I would like listen to it secretly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, it's going to be very basic of me to say, but my introduction to Haim was Paul Thomas Anderson because he directed several of their music videos. Uh, and so, like, I remember watching a lot of their videos because he directed them. And I was like, you know, I consume whatever Paul Thomas Anderson content I can get. And so I, I learned to appreciate the band and like them because I kept seeing their videos. And so uh, I guess it's only fitting that I would also grow to appreciate this performance and you know her first i guess major acting role i don't think she's done anything before this right there i think this is her first time in a feature length film yeah right uh yeah and i think she's terrific i i have uh nothing to push back as far as your comments i mean i do agree that like i i was really impressed with cooper hoffman's performance especially given that he's never been a film before as either his lead or a sporting actor um but yeah when i think back on like you know, I mean, there's so many performances in this movie I really do like a lot. And we'll talk about a few of the sporting actors I also really like. Um, but Alana just, I think, really takes this movie by force. And, you know, she her character, it's could have been so easy for Alana, the character, to be kind of like this two dimensional, you know, character that's just or one dimensional. Sorry, one dimensional character um that uh you know is just fawned over by our lead and i think that would have been the case for a much boring version of this film but yeah the fact she could have been like nagging and just kind of like mm-hmm. oh i don't want to you know you know what i mean but she right. isn't but she's yeah she's so complex and like she not only from the screenplay but from her performance she brings so much nuance and delicacy to this film and i think that's why it's such a rich film is because people can, you know, really see her character so vividly. And Paul, you know, is willing to dive on this character, maybe more so than um, Gary. I mean, ultimately, I, I, I had have to go back and watch the film to see who gets more screen time between the two of them. But yeah, I think it's her. That, that would yeah. be my, my assumption. But yeah, it would be great to revisit for that right. reason. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, just a terrific uh introductory performance i'm not sure if yeah. um, either of them are going to keep acting i mean i imagine they will but i'm very excited to see where they go from here especially if they continue acting uh with right. Paul thomas anderson i i hope so and I, I think that yeah she's absolutely killing it right now on the award circuit i think she's won best actress for a bunch of different film circles like locally uh, i think atlanta boston chicago and yeah she was nominated for best actress with critics choice and golden globes so it, it's looking great for her you know like this could be a really great you know push to her acting career starting out in in earnest i think for me like my favorite thing about her and and hoffman in this is that it's just so refreshing to see a movie where there are two leads like the two main people on the marquee are not like your standard like Hollywood actors, you know, in terms of like how they act and the way they look. I mean, they look like real people to me. Yeah. You know, not that, you know, not that like Hollywood actors like Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson. Sure. It's not that they're real people. It's not that they're not real people. It's just that that's that's like a Hollywoodized sort of like these aren't people that you would see on the street. There's like this sort of sure. authenticity to like they just they look like people I know, like mm-hmm. they look like people I'd be friends with and like they're approachable, they're accessible. Obviously, like I think that, you know, she she has like an authenticity that like goes beyond like the looks. It's the performance, too. But yeah, I right. just think that it's, I don't know, it's just refreshing to see. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be creepy, but I do think Galana Haim is, Haim is a beautiful woman. But I mean, I, I get what you're saying that like... um yeah, I mean, there's like a, not like a homely quality, but there is something a little bit more approachable to them in terms of like, 
you know, they they feel like you said, like people like you can see on the streets, people you would know in your real life. And that certainly adds a lot to the lived in approachable quality of the film as well. Yeah, I mean, it's still a far cry from like, I think, you know, that's by Hollywood standards, right? And like, I still think of uh, movies like The Duff. You know, I'll never forget. I was like the Duff where it's like my Whitman trying to make it seem like she's not a beautiful woman. And it's like a big thing that she'd be dating Robbie Amell. And like, okay, Hollywood. (laughs) I mean, that I think that also adds to the 70s quality of it, because I feel like a lot of movies in the 70s, you know, like you'd see people that look more like real people. You get a lot of character actors who are the leads and all this stuff. And I think that was a very deliberate choice. And I think one that paid off quite handsomely here. Do we have anything else to say about licorice pizza before we play the Rotten Tomatoes game? Anything that's still off well, your chest? I mean, I definitely want to talk about some of these supporting um, cameos and character actors that are in the film. Sounds good. I didn't know how deep you wanted to get into those. Uh, well, yeah. um, I mean, certainly I think it's, you know, it's fair game to talk about Bradley Cooper. He's in all the marketing and all that stuff. Um, I don't know if he's going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but I think, you know. I think I would be quite surprised. You I think, I think so? that's it's too stacked a category for the Oscars. I don't know. Supporting I, actor seems pretty open at the moment. I um, disagree, but I, I think, I think that's Cody Smith McPhee's award to lose at the moment. And more than uh Syrian Hines. And I think Syrian Hines is I, obviously Syrian Hines and Jamie Dornan are in the conversation as well. But yeah, I think, I think that Cody Smith McPhee is looking pretty good just based on a lot of the predictors that are, that are happening. But that's what I mean. It's like, it's pretty stacked. Are you going to get what's, Bradley Three. Cooper in there? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm not going to like put money on it, but I think there's a fair chance that could happen. Who well, knows? I'll say fair, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be like, what? I would just sort of be like, really? Huh. A lot you don't of think he's deserving money. of it with this performance? I don't think he's deserving of it. I'm, oh, so here's my hot take with this movie. I think he's so much fun in this movie. <laughs> he's fun, but honestly, him and Sean Penn, they're not my favorite things about this movie by a oh, long, I thought, long stretch. I thought Sean Penn was hilarious in this movie. I thought they're funny and like Tom I appreciate their roles too. in this. I think they they put a bring. A, I like John Waits the uh, Tom Waits the most. Sorry, sorry, Tom Waits. I think with those two, with Cooper and, and Penn, it's like I'm take it or leave it with that. Like they're great additions to an already great movie for me. Sure, they're they're to me they're not instrumental to the movie. Like they just they don't add anything to it for me personally. That where I'm just oh, like I this just movie. Gotta disagree when it comes to supporting turns like i think that that's that to me is what defines you know like they even though they're supporting even though they're not top billing they're so they're such an instrumental ingredient they're so essential uh, yeah I, I gotta disagree i just i don't think they are in this case uh, i mean i imagine they're the reason they're in the film is kind of for like marketing reasons like you know even though paul thomas anderson is a marquee director in some respects at least in certain circles like we mentioned yeah they're extended uh, cameos I mean, he is taking a risk and being like, here are two, you know, I mean, obviously one is the son of one of our great and now departed actors. And, you know, another is a musician with some fame as well. Uh, We haven't really discussed the nepotism thing of it, but I don't think it's really important to Um, in this case, at least. I I think Uh, in this case, it kind of serves the story considering it's about a person and nepotism. I don't know. It it kind of fits. That's one of the things where it's like, I feel like nepotism is a big issue in hollywood but like for a film like this i don't it doesn't bother me as that much maybe that's just me being infatuated with the film i don't know but um yeah i i think you kind of need them in the movie because you need that star power you need enough star power to like get people in the seats whatever get the marketers feeling confident and spending 
45 million or whatever on the film but i feel like it's you know they they are standout performances but they don't with the exception maybe of bradley cooper i feel like they don't overtake the film like they they stand out they they make a good impression they're fun but they don't like overtake the movie from our two leads like they, yeah yeah they don't do that they don't do that i agree. and yeah same with tom waits and then also benny safty who i think is really good in this film as yeah, I well i agree i agree I think uh, Safdie is probably not my favorite of the supporting, but he's up there for me. Sure. And then uh, the performance that uh, I really liked, I feel like a lot of people are overlooking, but I think is so crucial to the film uh, for reasons I can't dive into without discussing spoilers is Joseph Cross's performance, uh, who, you know, yeah. is only in two scenes in this film, but oh my God, like, is he so He makes good. him count. Yeah. yeah it's like, a great, 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 great Yeah. Uh, performance. I feel so happy that i invested stock in him after uh, running with scissors back in the day because i think he is a very underrated actor and i think he's doing some terrific work in this film so those are yeah. performances i i really wanted to the shout i also enjoyed the all the the Hyam family members uh, being in the film and uh, also i really well, i can never remember his full name but skyler um uh, the guy, he's in Righteous Gemstones. Uh, Skyler, yeah, we've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Skyler, I think you pronounce it Gazondo. 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 Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He, you know, he's only in, you know, probably like 10 minutes of the movie, maybe 15. But yeah, you see him in like Santa Clarita Diet, one of his more recent things. Oh, yeah, and... he was in that too. Um, yeah, I think he was fun as well. I just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I can't think of a, with the exception of the, um, the kind of flat-footed Japanese jokes, I feel like there's no like real sour note as far as like the casting or anything here. Um, yeah and also since we you brought up nepotism we did mm. see george dicaprio <laughs> in this movie which is I, yeah. I thought pretty fun um father of, of leonardo or leonardo mm. dicaprio of course yeah so competing with don't look up he was like all right kid <laughs> right. move aside you know i'm in I, I i'm in the winning hand for this one so um, uh wait who did he play in this film um, he plays uh mr jack uh one of the uh i think he's in like the if i remember right the sean penn section Oh, that's him. Yeah, it's George oh, DiCaprio. Wow. Oh, has he not been in anything in a while? Maybe I just haven't seen him in a long time. It's been a long time. Okay, yeah, I, I'd have to look at his filmography, right. but yeah. Okay, cool. But yeah, um, th this movie, like I said before, it's a spoil of riches when it comes to the people who show up in it. We even have Myra uh, Rudolph, you know, oh, yeah. the wife, wife of, uh, of uh, Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson in this. Uh, she has a really fun scene. John C. Riley has like a second hmm. in this movie. <laughs> It, it, it warmed my heart to see them together again, even for yeah. a brief moment. You know, it's been because so many people like me included have been like, why aren't they working together again? Why can't they do a movie together again? And, you know, I hope that happens in a more uh, official way. But this is yeah. nice. I'm glad they're still friends, at least. I mean, that's my for sure. Yeah, there's no falling yeah. out, apparently, like anything like that. It's just, yeah, it's been a while since the two the stars have aligned for right. the two of them that work together. But it's been um, like 20 years, I think. Like, I yeah, think something like that. Magnolia, it, right? He had he had a cameo, right? And there will be blood. I thought, but Maybe. yeah, it's just similar to this, where it's like so, I think so. I thought it was kind of small, but Maybe it's been a. It's I, I haven't rewatched the film in a good bit, but yeah. Was he not in Punch Drunk? It's been a while since I saw that. Uh, uh if he is, it's a voice only per cameo. But I thought, like, I'm just talking like like a like a lead because he's so good. Oh and yeah, yeah. It's been <laughs> been a long time since he's that. so good in um Boogie Nights and Magnolia that it's just it's I just want them to work together again. 
Agreed there. And I, w- I was going to also mention, um, you know, there, there's a fun little connection with, I know we just talked about being the Ricardos on the show, but, you know, he's in that same scene where uh, we have Christine Ebersole playing a version of Lucille Ball, which I thought was fun because that was a nice little nod to like the TV show, because I think Lucille Ball was in Yours, Mine and Ours, which gets referenced here. And it's like, like it's, I don't know, it's mm. like that kind of stuff that I think is like, it's really fun. Like it, it kind of, like I said before, it captures like the mood of this time in a, in a really fulfilling and an interesting way. It's a time machine yeah of a movie so it's just it's just great it's just it's yeah, just really good, good stuff man i i mean maybe i'll walk back on the statement but i think it's my favorite film from the past two years i really like past it a two lot years yeah because your, your favorite last year was it Bloody uh, Nose Bloody empty, Nose, po- empty pockets yeah i really like that movie a lot i also really liked i'm thinking of ending things my uh, second favorite from that year but great I, films this was just like it was just so comforting to be in a movie theater and see this and be like now i'm watching a film like yeah, the timing worked out considering yeah. um, that we were able to see this on the big screen, but I think yes, that it works very great. I mean, I didn't see Magnolia on the big screen and that movie Nor kicked me off my back. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. All right. Well, is let's that play your the favorite tomatoes game, uh, I guess. Oh, is wait, that, what? Is that your favorite PTA Magnolia? Magnolia? No. OK. I, I don't think I've ever decided what my favorite is. Hmm. I have it's to be honest choice. with you. It is tough. Magnolia's whew, that, that's a movie that I've, I've only seen it three times and <laughs> Every yeah. time I've been like, is this the best movie that's ever been made? No. That's a weird, yeah, I mean, that but is the maybe. thing about Magnolia, right? Is that like, when you think back on it, it's like, well, it's not quite as good as like, there'll be blood and all that. And then you watch ah, it, it's just like, you gosh, watch it, it's like, gosh, it's like, what same a thing film. With, then, then I watch There Will Be Blood. And it's like, there, there's, there are different kinds of PTA films, you know? Yeah. They each have like a different kind of energy, but they, they are in their own little like cliques, mm. these movies. And Phantom Thread, I think think i guess i would put in the same world as like master and there will be blood i guess but mm-hmm. yeah this one is very much of a piece with boogie nights and magnolia i mean and really that like that sentimentality advice. and nostalgia and i yeah sure sure that's that's joaquin's time sure but all right let's play the rotten tomatoes game with licorice pizza will ashen has to guess the rotten tomatoes score for licorice pizza will 188 critics have weighed in I'm one of them. You know, I like the film. So there's your hint. Hmm. But what do you think? What do you think the Rotten Tomato critic score is for this one? I am going to guess, and maybe this is me being a little high, but I think it's going to be 94% certified fresh. Very close. You are two Hmm. points off. Do you think it's higher or lower than 94? Is it 92? It's 92. Very well done. Certified fresh? You got got a little bit of redemption. Certified fresh, of course. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think you can't. I think you kind of have to be if you're 92% out of, yeah, Yeah. almost 200. Um, Yeah, 92%. Critics are taking one look at this movie and they're falling in love, you know, even though they probably shouldn't. Um, (laughs) No, sorry. Bit of a layup. Uh, All right. Audience score. We have 250 plus verified ratings Mm. for the Kirsch Pizza. Tricky, tricky, audience tricky. score is always tricky. Yeah, yeah. What do yeah. you think? What do you think audiences are saying once they check this one out? I think audiences. Well, this one's trickier too because more people are seeing it now, and they might have more divided opinions, like a general audience. Yeah, uh, no way to tell. Uh, I'm gonna say seventy-six percent. Seventy-six percent is your guess. Very close. You're having a, you're, you're on your game this week. 75%. Wow. All right. That was, well that was pretty well close. Done. Yeah. Very close. Um, you know, we don't usually do this, but what, what about the average rating on Letterboxd? There's no cinema score. So I want to kind of finish off with something. Um, 
Uh, as we know, yes, uh, letterboxed. Yeah, we're looking at any decimal point between zero and five. Is it uh, 4.2? How did you do that? It's 4.1. How did oh, you do that? Wow. I just, I'm just That's going impressive. with the gut. <laughs> I mean, my hands are, they're in my. I are, not, are you, can can we yeah. do some lotto numbers later? <laughs> Today's know, your day, I guess. Yeah. yeah 4.1 average rating, and that's out of 38,000 people have watched it. And uh, I think that means 38, there have been um, that many ratings. I, I've never messed with the letterboxed ratings before, so I don't actually see the numbers, but that's still pretty incredible. Yeah. People like there this movie. There you go. At least yeah. uh, a lot of people do. I mean, some people, uh, not so much, but, you know. They, they are entitled to their opinions. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back later this week. We're going to be talking about other stuff. Of course, we're hoping to get to the Matrix Resurrections mm. at next, uh, if we can. We're also hoping to talk about the Tender Bar, hoping to talk about uh, Sing 2. Two. And uh, what else? We got Red Rocket coming up. We got a yeah. lot of films on the pipeline. And then we're going to be doing... Yeah. Oh, yeah? You're going to say? What? No, I'm just very excited about a lot of those films. Um, yeah. You're... Yeah. I'm nervous. I, I feel like you're going to get into it. You're going to watch Red Rocket, my favorite film of the year, and be oh, like... Oh, I thought you were uh, You're going to be nervous about Sing 2. That's probably going to be a contentious <laughs> conversation, I imagine. Oh, I bet. No, I'm very... I'm not, In all actuality, I'm quite nervous about Red Rocket. I don't want mm-hmm. my heart to be broken. I feel like you're going to watch that movie and be like, I get well, to hurt John today. Wow. I really did like Tangerine and The Florida Project, so I don't... I imagine I don't like it. I we'll mean, see. Anything's possible. Um, but yeah, and then I don't know if we're going to get to Kingsman. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, Will, you haven't, and you just might. we just might not have time to get to it. I don't think it's a very remarkable film and worth prioritizing over some of the right. other ones we've, we've well, mentioned. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, before we recorded, before was, it is on the site. Yeah. Uh, before I recorded, uh, I was texting in front of the show, Corey Woodruff, and he had just seen it. Yeah. So if you're looking for somebody to do a bonus review, uh, he might be your man there. Well, uh, he's covering it for the young folks. Yeah. So I'm very, very happy to see what he thinks of the movie. If our takes are very different, then yeah, we got it. I'm just kidding. I would, I would talk to him no matter what. But uh, yeah, well, listeners, if you're kind of, if there's anything you want us to get to that we haven't mentioned, I know we got, it's that time of year, lots of Uh, stuff's flying by, and you're curious about it. Be sure to check out cinemahawks.com for sure. You might find a review on there, written or YouTube or whatever. Did you mention Lost Daughter? I think we're covering that one as well. I th- I, I think well uh, next week. I think we'll be covering that one. Tragedy Macbeth. It's just yes. It's all about the timing. What we can very, get to. Yeah. Very excited for Tragedy Macbeth. I know you weren't too fond of it, but that doesn't dissuade me. If anything, that encourages me. I'm like, maybe I'm I'm gonna like it more than I than I thought. So I hope you do. I it would be kind of tragic if uh, mm. both of us had negative reviews oh. of one of the most celebrated films of the year it's kind of weird if i don't like that movie uh, i'm gonna be uh i'm gonna be having a bad week i'm just gonna say that okay that's good to keep in mind because you are gonna be you said you're seeing it on sunday you're gonna see it on the big yes. screen i'm gonna try my darndest to see it on the big screen that's the way to do it for this one yeah i'm very excited i would i don't know if i would have finished it if i had seen it on like a smaller screen i probably would have been like nah it's gonna I be on things to do apple tv plus pretty soon i think yeah. uh, i think uh yeah a couple of weeks from now i want to say yeah, sure for sure well but you can catch it in limited release i think this coming new year's uh is when it's going to be hidden so is it there is that and if you are listening and you're like okay but what about don't look up that just hit netflix i want to i want to listen we already talked about don't look up isn't yeah. that exciting 
you you're you're behind the eight ball there if that's what you think <laughs> as always yeah be sure to check out cinemaholics.com for all the all the latest stuff we've been up to you can there's like a nice little thing where we have like a whole thing just for the podcast you see all the episodes all the clips you can just get right to it got um, a lot of stuff yeah a lot of reviews I think we've gotten some good reviews, I think, of late. I'm ready for things to quiet down. Not yeah. you, but <laughs> I'm ready to go. I mean, I say that, and then we're going to be hitting Sundance pretty soon, and it's yeah. going to be all over again. But uh, what a year that yeah. uh, this is shaping up to be. I think this is our last This is our last 2021 episode, I guess, uh, unless we do another bonus. But, yeah, so never say never. Never say never. Uh, if that is the case, have a happy new year. Um, to you, listeners, and to John. <laughs> well, thank you. Sure. Um, yeah, well, we'll see you all in the next one then. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.